Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 206. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. This is a time of war, chaos, inflation, division, and hardship. It's the middle of winter now. It's the coldest time of the year. And it's easy to get disgruntled, disconnected, and depressed. But there is reason to feel otherwise. And this is also a time to be hopeful. This is a time to be optimistic. And as always, this is a time to stay vigilant. That we must govern in a way that addresses the needs of all of our families and not worrying about what, the politi- what a political ideology asks us to believe and asks us to do. That we must govern in a way that we will never forget who it is that we're fighting for and what it is that we're supposed to be fighting for. We know that in this moment we have a chance, we have an opportunity, and we have a unique place and space to do something special. And when people say, well, how do you know that you can do this or how do you know that you can execute upon this in this time of divisiveness, in this time of political vitriol, my answer is this, it's the only way that I've ever led. You know a question I never once asked my soldiers when I was leading soldiers in Afghanistan? What's your political party? It didn't matter. We had one job, one goal, and and one mission. My job was to unify our unit and go out and accomplish that mission, and it's the same job and responsibility that we have right now. If we are divided, we can't win. But if we are united, we can't lose. One team, one fight, one mission. That's refreshing, isn't it? He's not an independent, but he sounds like one. It's a historic week for Maryland, for the veterans movement, and for America. If you want or need reason to be inspired, hopeful, motivated, look to Annapolis this week, and until further notice, look to Maryland and look to Governor Wes Moore and his family and his team. Wesley Watande Omari Moore is now the 63rd governor of Maryland, the first post-9-11 veteran to be governor of Maryland, the first black governor of Maryland, and the first guest of the show to be governor of Maryland. You heard Wes Moore on this show. If you haven't, Go back and listen to episode 10, way back in 2019, and episode 105 in March 2021. But you heard the story, the message, and the unity of Wes Moore, who might also be the first guest of this show to be elected president, too. 
And I think that could happen in as soon as six years from now. Because if you want to see a leader who embodies all the love, light, and power of Martin Luther King Jr. this week, on the anniversary of his birthday, see Westmore, especially now. He's an inspiration machine. And Maryland, you're very fortunate to have him. But you're going to have to share him with the world because the world needs him. And the world can't wait. Because the world is looking for leaders. And Wes Moore's inauguration is happening on the week of Martin Luther King Day. There's a time in our life when you stand, when you fight, when you protect what is right. Oh. Wes Moore's inauguration is happening on the week we recognize Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And to appreciate the magnitude of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's heroism and example, we've got to absorb and share the brutality and the enormity of the history that's led us to this moment. We've got to especially share it with the younger generation. Change is possible, but only with courage, leadership, and love, which we still need now more than ever, along with our vigilance, because the work is not done. It's never done. And it's in the hands and hearts of all of us. These are the signs. And we're going to have to turn it up. Because not far from Maryland and Washington, D.C., the stupid continues to spread like COVID inside the New York City subways. Which I know for a fact because I think that's where I got it. Yep, I got COVID again, round two. But I'm already getting better, relatively mild symptoms. I took Paxlovid and I was back on my feet in about four or five days. But Congress, not so much. Congress is infected with the stupid and it's slowing them down and it's everywhere. They all look like the opposite of Westmore. And it's not just the Republicans. I'm really getting sick and tired of hearing Democrats whine about and pile on George Santos for easy press. Yes, Santos is a liar. He shouldn't be in Congress. He should probably be in jail. But too many Democrats are doing nothing but grandstanding over it. They're not going to get him out any more than they got Trump out. And there are about 100 things voters want to see them focus on more than George Santos. And that goes especially for my new congressman from New York's 10th District, Democrat Dan Goldman. Here in our area, here where I live in lower Manhattan, homelessness is out of control. Crime is spiking. Businesses downtown are closing left and right. They're closing our public parks. And the 9-11 health care fund is again running out of money. There's a war in Ukraine. And so folks like Dan Goldman are making their first priority in Washington, chasing around George Santos. Focus on what matters, man. And remember, it's not just Democrats that live in your district. We don't need more political games. 
especially in this district and especially in Congress and especially now, because there's important nonpartisan work that has to be done, especially around issues of national security, which we continue to focus on in this show, especially. Did you know that this week there was tremendous news? Did you know that this week U.S. Navy veteran Taylor Dudley was released from Russian custody? I bet you didn't even see it. But he was imprisoned by the Russians and has been released. Great work by my old friend Jonathan Franks, who had represented Taylor, by Governor Richardson, and by countless others, many of whom's names we will never know. Because they're not the people who are chasing the cameras. They're the people who are doing the work. So welcome home, Taylor. We're glad you're back. There's lots going on like that that most folks aren't tracking on because they're clouded with the noise of George Santos or whatever other crap the Republicans and Democrats are fighting about this day. And not enough people are focused on the war in Ukraine, which we will continue to keep in the spotlight on this show. We talked about it at length last episode with Nolan Peterson, which you should check out if you haven't already. I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it. America and NATO need to stop making Ukraine play a demeaning game of mother may I over and over again, saying, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? It's disrespectful, and it's hampering their ability to win. Give them everything they need for victory. Tanks, planes, all of it. Do it. And again, you heard that message this week from President Zelensky in Davos. He had a sober message invoking history saying the world has to stand up to this kind of despot invasion. And the world is responding. The U.S. is sending patriots. We've talked about that. Canada is now committing to send 200 armored personnel carriers. They believe, like many others, it's time to stand up and fight Russian aggression. And there's more underway, and we're going to get into it with one of the best guests we've had on that topic and anything related to it. They do to me. Someone has to care right now. What you think is what you do. What you say is how you move. Now is the time to live as one. He's one of the best reporters in the business and a frequent guest on this show. Washington Post national security and military reporter Dan Lamoth. Dan Lamont has been on this show three times before, most recently in August, to talk about Afghanistan, but he's one of the best military and Pentagon reporters in America. He's covered this stuff for more than a decade, traveled around the world, embedded with all the services. He's covered combat in Afghanistan numerous times, and he brings us the news you need to know about. He'll tell you what's happening now and what's happening next. And General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, just spent a couple hours with General Valery Zelersny, the top officer in the Ukrainian military. They met secretly in Poland. Dan Lamont was there, and he's going to give us a report. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about what weapons are on the way, what training is happening, what's happening next in Ukraine, and what other parts of the world might be a hotspot in 2023 and beyond. Someone has to care right now. Hey, these are the signs, these are the signs, say these are the signs of the world we're living in, yeah, these are the signs. The fighting never ends. 
the political fighting and the actual fighting. And the leaders leading the fight make all the difference, whether it's President Zelensky or Governor Moore. And on this show, we're going to continue to talk with them and about them. Welcome to the future of politics, the future of war, and the future of all things. Welcome to another special Ukraine war report. Welcome to a sign of the times. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 206. When you're getting lonesome, Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, the year is off to a fierce start, and we are going to keep on the most important issue on the globe, which is Ukraine and all things connected to it. Uh, A lot of folks in the media are changing their focus. We are not. We're going to keep it here, and we're bringing back a returning champion, uh, I think one of the best journalists in the world, a friend of the show, the great and powerful Dan Lamoth is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. So uh, I did wear my giant shirt, especially for you, because you're a Massachusetts guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just want you to know that. And my, and my condolences on the Patriots. I don't know how you're feeling about the Pats right now. You know, I'm actually kind of looking at it as the intervention they need. Uh, I feel like they were kind of spluttering around with, you know, inept coaching and and some other things that they need to fix. And if they had made the playoffs and made even one, one game, I I feel like we'd be doing this all over again next year. So maybe it's for the best. I, it may be. And I I think it's going to be fun because you know, there are going to be Brady rumors, even though he's probably going to go to Vegas or somewhere else. It's going to be fun to watch that, but we're going to cut through rumors and get to facts. That's what you specialize in. Um, I want to start by uh, welcoming you back. You've been here many times before. We've talked about Afghanistan. We've talked about the insurrection. You're always in the mix of the most important military and defense stuff happening now. Uh, And and to that point, where are you and how are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm on a week-long tour of uh, Europe, uh, traveling with uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, General Mark Milley. Uh, We left on Sunday. Uh, We're in Brussels at the moment. Uh, he has been today in a meeting with uh, NATO chiefs, uh, so top military officers from numerous allies. Um, we're kind of off to the side, kind of doing other work today. There isn't much for us that we can fall in on today. Uh, but in the last couple of days, I've, I've been uh, in Grafenvier, uh, the Army training base in Germany. Uh, yesterday, I was in southeastern Poland, uh, where General Milley split off and went to go meet with uh, General uh, Zeluzhny. Uh, uh, just inside uh, Poland, uh, on the Polish side of the border. Uh, they met for a couple hours. Uh, he came back, and and we flew from there up to Brussels. I want to talk about that meeting. I want to talk about uh, the uh, the deployment of, of new weapons, Patriot missiles. We've now got uh, Ukrainian troops training at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. We're pushing, you know, there's a push for tanks, for F-16s. But just can you take us inside what is it like to travel 
with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. You know, this meeting, I think, was uh, was was announced publicly after it happened, it seems like, right, in, in, in uh, respect for operational security. Um, but I, as, as folks know, I've got COVID right now. You know, you're going through multiple cities. What is it like now, you know, in this environment, the security environment, the COVID environment, the, the political environment? What's it like to travel with Millie right now? Yeah, uh, uh, the COVID situation has, has normalized. It's, it's basically traveling back to normal with the caveat that we all know if, if anyone comes down with it, uh, they are going to be left behind uh, for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, and then, and then you would hold in place and, and, you know, presumably at this point in, in, in the world. And at this point in time, uh, spend a few days and hopefully be back on your feet. Uh, so, um, there, there was a point where we did a lot of testing on these trips, uh, and that goes for traveling with the, you know, the, the defense secretaries and others as well, where it was, yeah, I mean, I remember doing one trip with, uh, uh, secretary Austin, uh, pre-vaccination where we tested, I think like seven times in the span of like nine days it was mm. it was per, it was pretty arduous and those were the you know the deep factory reset version uh reset versions of those tests it was it was significant they were trying to do everything they could to keep people uh healthy mm. and what do you train i i don't know how this works uh you know the press corps travels with the president on air force one do you travel on you know chairman of joint chiefs one or how does that work with with the press corps and him uh, a lot, a lot of the U.S. officials. So the, the defense secretary has uh, the E-4B, uh, often called the Doomsday Plane. Uh, at this point, it's a very old plane, uh, decades old. Uh, you walk in there, it feels like 1975. You know, the old screens, the old, old phones on the wall. Um, you know, it, it, need, it needs work. It needs help. Um, and, and you know, it's occasionally down for maintenance as well. Uh, the chairman does not have his own plane per se. Uh, but there's a fleet of sort of, they look sort of like mini Air Force Ones, same paint job, kind of the blue and white United States of America uh, down the side. Traditionally, we travel in one of those. Uh, the C-40s uh, is, the, is the most common airframe that I've been on for these trips that are sort of chairman trips or, you know, smaller defense secretary trips. Uh, so it's kind of like traveling on, I don't know, maybe a Southwest flight with bigger seats. Uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of has that feel in terms of the size of the plane. Uh, and Hopefully, with that, without the delays that we saw from Southwest over Christmas time. Um, yeah, I, I was get, one of those folks caught with that too. Do you, do you get word? Do they say, "Hey, man, he's leaving in twenty four hours. Let's go"? Or how does that happen? You know, was this a pre planned trip? How, how do you get notification? And how many other people are in that crew in the press that that is alongside you? Uh, so I think I and this one I got notification about a week in advance uh, that they were going to Europe. Uh, you know, there's some obvious uh, events on the schedule. We all know there was a U Ukraine contact group scheduled this week. That is a part of the schedule for late this week. Uh, that alone, uh, with an invitation, made it where if I can fit it in my schedule, I will go. Uh, I didn't know uh, about the, the stop in uh, southeastern Poland till late. Uh, I had already committed and then found out. Uh, and I definitely didn't know about the visit with General uh, Zaluzny till, you know, like really 12 hours out from him. Mm. From him actually doing that. that that was actually a late add to the schedule it seems like they were looking for a spot to meet somewhere in europe the hope had been that uh, zeluzhny would actually be able to make it to the nato meeting uh he will be joining remotely uh and they, they apparently went to plan b and, and and met just inside poland so zeluzhny is is their chairman of the joint chiefs right the equivalent on on the ukrainian side and um 
can you talk about, uh, in my view, this is a, you know, a, a show of strength, right? To, he, he's as close as, Millie is as close as he can be without going into the Ukrainian uh, land. Um, this is coming off the, the heels of announcing that we're sending Patriot batteries. Uh, there continue to be calls for tanks, uh, for Bradleys, uh, for strikers, for F-16s. But can you talk about the significance of this meeting and what your reporting uh, has has found out about what happened in that meeting? Yeah, I mean, it it, it is. It, it's meant to, to show, uh, you know, the symbolism of it, of it is, I think, the most important aspect, uh, at least in terms of the public messaging of it. The fact that they are willing to find time in their busy schedules for this, uh, the, bill, the, the fact that they are willing to kind of publicly uh, announced that they are doing this. Um, they have been speaking regularly, uh, at least monthly, uh, and probably ex messages exchanged in other formats in between. Uh, so at this point, they know each other. They speak often enough, but they had actually never met in person, hmm. at least since the invasion. I can't speak for prior to the invasion, but this is their first in-person meeting. Uh, since the invasion. So it, it almost gets to at some point weird if, you, if you're not able to find a spot to meet. Um, we're, we're also walking a, a weird line here. We've seen Defense Secretary Austin, Secretary of State Blinken. Uh, they have both made visits to Kyiv. Uh, we have an ambassador. We have an embassy in Kyiv again. Uh, we've seen uh, kind of that next tier down, Deputy T Secretary of State, Under Secretary of Defense. Several of them went to Kyiv a couple of days ago as well. Um, General Milley has not uh, been in Kyiv. He has not been in Ukraine, to anyone's knowledge. Uh, and, and the distinction seems to be that if you're not assigned to the U.S. Embassy and sort of that specific uh, security mission focus there, which has, I think, a one-star general, you know, a, a couple dozen troops, if you're not uh, assigned to that, no one else is going in. And that apparently applies to the chairman as well. And the significance being no one else in uniform, right? Those other folks you Correct. mentioned are civilian appointees or civilian leadership at the Pentagon. But, you know, you know, it would be a massive statement to the world if we had any rank of troop, U.S. troop beyond our, our embassy security going into Ukraine. So they're walking that fine line. Um, Patriots is front and center right now. To me, it seems like something that could have been done a long time ago. We talked last week with Nolan Peterson, who was living in Kyiv and experiencing the, the, the missile attacks and the bombings. Um, can you talk about the Patriots as you see them? Um, we've got also Ukrainian troops training at Fort Sill. I don't think this is such a big deal. I was on another a news network and they said, you know, this is shocking or this is, uh, you know, this is provocative. I, we train, you know, foreign troops all the time. But but how do you view uh, this this increase in the tr in, in the weapon system? We've now got Patriots in play and that training component where we've got Ukrainian troops on U.S. soil in a high visibility way. Yeah, I, I think a, a couple of things are significant. I, I, yes. I mean, not not only have we trained uh, foreign troops for any number of things going back many years, we've trained Ukrainian troops in the United right. States for other reasons. Right. So there's. There's not, I mean, there was actually Ukrainian troops in the United States when the invasion happened. Right. Uh, so like there, there's all of that nuance that's uh, probably important to add. Uh, as far as the Patriot, it, it becomes a system that, you know, it, it's a very highly desired system uh, by many nations in normal times. Uh, but I think you reach a point where, you know, you see day after day what's happening with drone attacks, missile attacks and other things in Ukraine. And, and at some point it goes from being, well, hey, Ukraine's going to fall anyway. We won't be able to get it there in time to it's it's not, you know, it's foreseeable to, to picture 
a, a wave of missile attacks like this in the, a year from now, potentially. So uh, I, I, I hear the argument that it should have been on, done a while ago. Uh, I, I can at least take that on board as, as part of this discussion. Uh, but, but the bottom line is they reached a point where, they, that, where they're willing to send it. Germany is also willing to send it. Now we're having a discussion of, of, of the Netherlands potentially also sending it. There's any number of other air defense systems that have also been added to the mix. Uh, so collectively, the hope is that you're able to not necessarily get every missile, but knock down a, a good portion of these collectively by the time you're there. It's going to take months before you're likely to see uh, this American Patriot system being useful in Ukraine. Uh, but they've at least got the ball rolling now. Um, it, the The second piece we're not clear on yet, it came up yet uh, at the Pentagon, um, is, is how the second system, uh, Germany has offered a system. Um, but if there's no clarity yet on whether that means Germany will also be training Ukrainian troops on, on the Patriot and when. Um, do we end up with another wave of Ukrainians following the first one training in the United States to fall in on another Patriot system. Hmm. That's, that's the sort of stuff that's just, um, they're still going to have to sort through it. I, I think we're, there's a lot more to come there. So Dan, I've, I've called this a giant game of mother. May I, it feels like the Ukrainians have to come with hat in hand and say, you know, thank you, sir. May I have another, can I have one more thing? Can I have one more thing? Can I have one more thing? And we haven't opened the gun chest and said, okay, guys, take everything you need to win this fight. And, and I and I think others would argue that we've given Ukraine enough to defend themselves for now, but not to win. And there's more we can do. Uh, the calls now specifically seem to be requests for tanks. Uh, German tanks are asking for panzer tanks and other tanks. We, you know, I think many like me would be fine with the Abrams going over and Bradleys and Strikers and any other types of tanks and armored personnel carriers. Um, do you have any read on, uh, on, on, on whether or not that's going to happen, how soon it could happen, uh, and where General Milley himself is on this? I know he's tight-lipped, but at the time, sometimes he's not. And, uh, and, and then I guess the next step would also be F-16s. Uh, if we had been training Ukrainians on F-16, they would already be in the fight. So is that, does that feel like the next sequencing for you, or are there other things in there that we might not be tracking on? Uh, I, I think... I think they're now to the point where they're taking things a couple months at a time, as opposed to a week at a time, or, you know, what can we get to, the, get to them that they immediately then use, you know, two days after they get. Um, so all of the discussion right now is really focused on two subjects, armor and more air defense. Uh, those seem to be the two primary things. Now the air defense is for obvious reasons. We, we, we've all seen these apartment buildings get hit, the, air, the electrical grid, grid hit, get hit. It's for that largely. Um, the armor, uh, you marry that up with the Ukrainians themselves openly talking about a launching a renewed counteroffensive. So the, the expectation becomes at some point that Ukraine is able to marry up these new Bradley fighting vehicles, uh, things they're getting from Europe, um, you know, personnel carriers of a variety of kinds, more MRAPs, more uh Humvees, really anything that they can get their hands on that moves uh, with some level of protection, even if it's just from small arms, uh, and that they would, you know, turn that into a coherent counteroffensive. Now, there's a lot of that we're not hearing in the open source yet in terms of how they're organizing, what that looks like, which towns they prioritize, but the expectation would be whether it's weeks from now or months from now, you're probably going to see Ukraine try to take back more territory in a serious way. 
-hmm. And you're now seeing the Pentagon openly say that they're trying to help Ukraine take back territory. Mm. Dan, on the backdrop of all this, we've got a new Congress and uh, a, a new wave of fuckery <laughs> and shenanigans. Um, some significant things we've seen impacting the military is, is the rollback of the, the COVID mandate. Um, is, is there uh, anything else that the Pentagon is bracing for? Um, it, it feels like, you know, the GOP wants to try to um, reignite conversations around things like the trans ban, things that have been uh, divisive regarding diversity. Um, what, what are they bracing for? And, and if you had to predict, you know, if Millie's sitting there saying, OK, I have to plan on the war front, but I also have to plan on the political front. What else could be coming that they anticipate from uh, from Congress and, and Kevin McCarthy and the new leadership that could occupy their time? Uh, in terms of what the Republicans will do, I'm not sure, uh, largely, but in things of, in terms of things that they've messaged they could do, uh, I think you're certainly going to see some additional kinds of investigation on Afghanistan. Um, you know, and, and there are some probably very fair oversight to be done there that hasn't been done yet. So I think that's one thing that the Pentagon is particularly uh, wary of, but it really it's the State Department, it's the White House, it goes beyond the Pentagon on that front. Uh, we're probably going to see hearings. We're going to see uh, potentially subpoenas if there's not cooperation. Uh, that could go any number of ways in coming months. Uh, we're waiting to see whether or not that's a single committee that looks at this, whether there's some sort of cooperation among committees. I'm, I'm not quite sure yet. And and we we did a front page story on that uh, a few weeks back. And, and that's basically where the discussion was at that point was, you know, it's not clear whether we end up with a select committee, a specific committee multiple multiple different hearings on different committees. I, I don't know, but that's certainly a part of the conversation. Uh, on Ukraine, you're, you're continuing to see a specific kind and a specific number of lawmakers look for ways that they can get in the way of additional money, weapons, support going. But the leadership is not quite there yet, particularly uh, uh, Senator McConnell does not seem to be there. He's very much behind Ukraine. He's openly saying so. So I have a hard time seeing in the short term any of that changing. Whether that holds a year from now, two years from now, I don't know. Um, and, and then when you start getting into some other things, the culture war type of stuff, yeah. I think one piece, one piece, you know, the vaccine is no longer required. We're still sorting through what that means for people that left the service because they wouldn't get the vaccine. You know, are they, do they come back? Do they want to come back? Um, do they get back pay for the period they were not out? Those are the things that are being asked right now. Not all of them are settled. I, I want to just stay on this for a second. So now that you know the, the vaccine mandate is being rolled back, is there anyone tasked with tracking the readiness impact of that? I mean, you know, if 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 you're on a you know a plane like the one with Millie, where his staff doesn't have to be vaccinated anymore, and he could get sick, we could see people that have to lose work time, right? Is is there anyone tasked with tracking that, or is there will they be reporting on that to to the public? I mean, cer certainly they're keeping track of of who comes down with it. Uh, one thing that I, I've had a couple conversations with defense officials that there's there's sort of a twofold. There's the immediate uh, reaction to the announcement. And then there's probably a rolling impact. Now, the announcement's made. We're no longer in 2020. It's not everywhere. Um, and, and 97, 98% of the force at this moment is vaccinated. So there's no necessarily immediate you know, 
sprawling, you know, in terms of what it could mean, how it could affect people, it still largely should be protected. Over time, 98, 95, 92, 87%, where do you end up two, three, five years out? And, and you got to marry that with where does the virus end up? And, and both of those are kind of unknown, right? Mm. Um, last question I want to ask you, and you've generously agreed to stick around for a couple of uh, questions uh, that our Patreon members will hear. We're going to do football predictions. I'm going to ask Dan to predict the playoff games this weekend. So Patreon members, you're going to get exclusive content around that. Uh, but before we get to, to the games, let's stick on the issue of, of war. Dan, last week there was there were some comments by the Navy secretary, I believe, talking about uh, artillery and, 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 and weapon production. And the headline that got snatched by some people that, frankly, I think want a reason to bang on Ukraine, and it was more of the right-wing media than anyone else, was uh, if we keep supplying Ukraine, we're going to run out of our artillery for ourselves. Right. And it seemed to me like he was really talking about more about supply chain issue and trying to issue a warning uh, to defense contractors that the supply chain issues are starting to track up. And this is a component. But it got twisted into, hey, if we keep supplying Ukraine, we're not going to have enough artillery for ourselves. Can you cut through the bullshit on that and tell us what, what you think is really going on here? Uh, I, I do think that coverage got muddled a bit. Um, and you actually saw some stories, kind of second versions of it that were uh, a bit more clear on what was said and what was not. Um, I do think he was raising alarm uh, over what this could mean, you know, a year from now or something like that. You know, long-term impact, uh, specific kinds of weapons, I think more so than others. Uh, but I don't think this is necessarily about howitzer shells. You know, like there are many thousands of those going over. There are additional lines coming online as we speak. Uh, you know, that has been a priority for months now. And you're starting to see that become a, a reality in terms of, you know, just additional hotlines, more places that can make them. Uh, you've got South Korea assisting now. Like there's a number of ways that that has changed. Uh, so I don't necessarily think there's a lot of there there, but there's some there there, particularly on higher end systems that could end up in the fight at some point. Last question. I think I always ask you this. What's next? What what hasn't been reported? I know you can't share reporting that you have you know you haven't put out yet. But are there issues or areas of the world or news items on the defense landscape and the Pentagon landscape uh, that we can look toward to to not just what's happening now but what's next? I mean, the immediate what's next for me for is is what is what does it look like in Ukraine this spring, um, counteroffensive wise? Uh, one factor uh, that is getting some discussion, but probably not as much as it should for me. You know, you keep hearing about the muddy season in Ukraine. You know, you can launch a counteroffensive hypothetically before the ground thaws out. Mm -hmm. Then you have a period where it becomes more difficult. Then you kind of hit more of a summary environment where it's more feasible to move around again easily. You know, you can talk about the traditional muddy season, but what's the weather like this year? What's the weather like now? That's mm -hmm. a variable that we don't know yet. So when they can do this, when they can be effective doing this, I don't know how quickly, how much of a factor does it become? Do they try to do it earlier, you know, than things are really thought out? Do they start and then mud becomes a factor partway through? Like that's all got to get sorted out. Uh, in terms of other things, non-Ukraine things, uh, I think in coming weeks and months, you're going to start to see, uh, you know, nominations for a replacement for General Milley uh, yeah. first. Um, you know, he, he rotates out by law. He needs to be out of that job by the end of September. Uh, and then there's there's kind of a cascade of effects. You know, General Berger's been in his job in a while in the Marine Corps. 
General Brown has been in jo his job in a while in the Air Force. General McConnell, uh, McConville is expected to retire. Like there's a number of people that you're, you're going to see go and, and a lot of next man up in numerous services. Not quite sure how those chairs get arranged yet, who ends up being uh, chairman, who ends up being, you know, service chief in some of these places based on who ends up being chairman. Um, and, and then otherwise, I think you're going to see more reporting out of the Pacific this year. Mm. Uh, I think the, the Marine Corps announcement uh, when Japan was in town in D.C., um, it, you know, earlier this month, uh, where, where they talked about having this littoral regiment based on Okinawa that'll spend time on smaller islands southwest of Okinawa. That gets you toward Taiwan. You're not going on Taiwan, but, you know, 100 miles out, that kind of idea. And they're at least going to start uh, exercising, trying things, experimenting, and messaging also. Uh, and so what that looks like, I think, is an interesting story yeah. as well. Yeah, what's next is China, 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 right? Um, can I can I ask you uh, one alibi here, as we'd say in the Army? Who's the odds-on favorite to replace Millie? Uh, if you had to pick one or two, three names that we should be tracking on that the public won't know until that person is nominated. We've never had a female chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, it, who, who do you expect to be the two or three names in the running here? Yeah, um, I think that discussion is, is often easiest to start by saying who it won't be, right? Like, so, you, you know, like guys like McConville is, are expected to retire. So he's probably not it. Um, you've got a vice chairman right now who's an admiral. So it's unlikely that you'd end up with another admiral as chairman as well. So you could probably take the Navy out of the mix. Uh, that leaves you with the Air Force. The Marine Corps, or possibly the Army again. Um, the odds-on favorites by most accounts are General Brown, um, the Air Force Chief, or General Berger, the Marine Corps Chief. Uh, and if you end up with either of them, you know, they've both been around a while. They've both been service chiefs for several years. They're both breaking China in their own services in some ways. The, uh, the Marine Corps in particular, there are a lot of angry people at General Berger over his elimination of tanks and some of the other things mm -hmm. as he does what he thinks is right to, you know, kind of pivot the service more toward Pacific Island kinds of ideas. Um, you could end up with a dark horse. Uh, you know, do you end up with a, an army general again, following General Milley? It's not out of the realm of possible. It's legal. Uh, so some of this comes down to, to who ends up being simpatico with uh, President Biden. Uh, you, you're going to have interviews uh, earlier this, you know, early in the spring. You'll probably end up with an announcement in March or April, and then things need to move. You need to do mm -hmm. confirmations. You mm -hmm. need to do meetings between senators and the nominee. Uh, you're probably going to have hearings by early summer. And then you've got to have this person in seat by law by October. It's a great test for this new divided Congress to see if they can get basic shit done, like getting that done. Um, and, there, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation out there. On, on this stuff, but there's no speculation when it comes to your reporting, man. You continue to be intrepid. Uh, I hope you get a Pulitzer this year because you deserve it uh, for all your great work. Uh, when the Afghanistan uh, investigations happen, which I think are necessary and overdue, and I hope will be bipartisan, I hope you'll come back for that and come off, come back often uh, during this year. There's a lot happening. And Dan Lamoth, you're always at the forefront of it. So thank you for all the work you do. It's a true public service. Thank you for coming back on the show. And I hope you get to enjoy Brussels a little bit, man. Yeah, I had a couple of delicious beers last night, but we don't have a ton of downtime here. So, you know, we're, we're at least, you know, boxed in a bit on what we can fit in. Excellent, man. Appreciate all your good work. Happy New Year. Stay vigilant. Thank you. You too.
All right, I'm really grateful that Dan could join us. He is deep in it, and he's a smart guy, and we're very grateful to have him. He is definitely a helper. Dan Lamont is a helper. Like Wes Moore, like General Milley, and like so many others, Dan Lamont is stepping up and is truly a helper. My mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any really catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Check him out on Twitter. Read everything he writes at the Washington Post. You can find out more in the show notes. And be sure to use the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. And while you're on social, you can still play guest the guest with me every Wednesday night. Look for the hashtag guest the guest and fire away. Tell me who you think our next guest might be. It could be anybody. Not so little old lady, a regular listener, my thanks to you, ma'am, uh, chimed in and guessed last week and said, rhymes with glance, meaning Malcolm Nance. No, I'm sorry, ma'am. Close, but no cigar. It's not Malcolm Nance, but I do hope he will join us again soon. And no surprise to anyone, since this is NFL playoff time, the guy who's like the Tom Brady of guess the guest, Delfino Sanchez, was correct. He got it again. He said, Paul. Could it be the great and powerful Nolan Peterson? He also said episode number 170 was great and full of the five eyes. What will the Giants-Vikings final score be? Stay frosty, my friend. Well, Delfino, before we get to the football, congratulations. You are the GOAT. You are the greatest of all time of Guest the Guest. If you want to check out 170 or any of the previous episodes that Delfino and Little Old Lady and others have been listening to, Go to independentamericans.us. You can also watch video. Share it far and wide. You can listen to it while you've got the game on mute during the commercials. You can listen to it on your car ride. You can listen to it while you're studying or while you're at work. But give us a shout out. Check out independentamericans.us and share it. You can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. Shout out to all our Patreon members. Thank you for making this content happen. You are getting a special extended content section with me and Dan Lamont. He's going to tell you what it's like to travel with General Milley. And he's going to make football predictions. So stick around for that. If you're a Patreon member, you also get this show ad-free. So check that out. Throw us a couple bucks and spread the word. Our country is more divided than ever, but in independent Americans and righteous media, we are going to work to change that, to add light, to contrast the heat, to rise up and show you the leaders who are making a difference. And if you're among that 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. So check us out. We invite you to be a part of the conversation and a part of the solution. Also, every Thursday in the 11 a.m. Eastern hour, be sure to check me out on my weekly segment on News Nation with Marnie Hughes. I will focus on national security, bets, and political news of the week with a special focus on Ukraine. You can find it on your cable box or anywhere online, News Nation, Thursdays at 11, me and Marnie Hughes. And every Friday night, 8.45-ish on News Nation. Also, I'm going to be on I'll Drink to That with Chris Cuomo. Have a drink, call in, let's hang. I had to take last week off because I had COVID, but we're going to keep it going. So look for it on social media or online. They do to me, someone has to care right now. 
where you can also, of course, hear my football commentary. I'm constantly commenting on football. If you don't like hearing me talk about football, you want to unsubscribe from me on Twitter. But yes, the Giants are back, America. Biggest win since my kids have been born. Coach Brian Dable is the best thing to happen to this franchise since Bill Parcells, and they did it. Huge win in Minneapolis. They earned it a great game, and my kids have finally seen a playoff win. Damn, it feels good to win again. And bring on the Eagles. The Giants have the dreaded Eagles on Saturday night, and I will be watching. And I'm going to make my picks, and I'm going to make some picks here. I'm going to start doing this on the show. I'm picking the Giants to beat the Eagles. Yes, I have to. I cannot pick or root against my Giants ever. And the other game on Saturday, it's the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence against Mahomes and the Chiefs. You can't beat the Chiefs at home. The Jags have been fantastic. They got a shot, but I'm going with the Chiefs at home. And then in the Sunday early game, it's the Cincinnati Bengals on the road against the Buffalo Bills. The Bengals have been hot and the Bills have been faltering, but I'm going with the Bills at home. I think Jaron Allen's going to be the difference. It's going to be a great shootout with Joe Burrow, and the Bills seem like a team of destiny after DeMar Hamlin's injury, so I'm going with the Bills. And then the late game, the epic clash, the Dallas Cowboys visiting the San Francisco 49ers. This one could go either way. I know the Diners have been dominant, but I am not all in yet on their rookie quarterback, Dak Prescott. I'm also not a fan of, so... At the end of the day, I think it's coming down to defenses, and the 49ers are going to take it. And if their quarterback, Purdy, the rookie, doesn't screw it up, they could go all the way. So enjoy the playoffs, everybody. I hope you can find ways to enjoy the winter, and I hope you enjoy this show. I'm going to continue to bring it to you fast and fierce throughout the year. Please tell a friend, subscribe, and share. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this together, especially now. All across America, all across Ukraine, all across Maryland, and all across the NFL. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. And stay vigilant, America. And go Giants! Powered by Righteous Media.